Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Kelly Barner with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Glad to be here. I am so happy that you're here. And I'm really happy that our guest is here because we, we're, we're, let's face it, we're head over heels with the mission they're on, the good work they're doing, and we're delighted to partner and collaborate with them. So who am I talking about? Well, we're talking about Hope for Justice, right? Who's on a mission to eradicate modern slavery and human trafficking from the face of the planet. Kelly, it should be a really interesting discussion, right? Based on the other conversations with Tim, absolutely. <laughs> so who you're alluding to is our guest, the one and only Tim Nelson, CEO of Hope for Justice. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. So so good to see you both and to be with you today. Well, we are delighted. Uh, and, you know, Kelly and I, we, we've seen you in action a lot since the last time you appeared with us when you blew our socks off. Let's face it, uh, uh, the knowledge that you brought, the scope of this immense challenge that we have, this travesty, uh, travesties, and that Muhammad Ali quote that we almost kind of we, we wrapped with. I'd be surprised if folks weren't jumping off our live stream and going to do something because of how you were inspiring them, Tim. Oh, so kind. I really appreciate you saying that. I think the, the goal of everyone who's in this mission is just to try and make a difference. And and I really appreciate you saying that. And, you know, every time I get the privilege to to say anything about the work that we're doing, um, it's a real honor. But um, the fact that you would be so kind as to to say that is real, real, real privilege to me. So thank you. You bet. Well, Kelly, as as uh, we appreciate that. And, you know, we, we talk for a living, I guess. But as you we not you and I both know, it's about deeds, not words, right? Deeds, not words. Absolutely. So before, so so speak to that for a quick second before we get into the Tim Nelson story, because it's about taking action, right? This is one of the things, and, and actually as part of the uh, Supply Chain and Procurement Awards, we've been talking an awful lot about what do we need to know so that we can take the right actions. This isn't just about talking a good game. It's not just about having the right ideas. It really is about how we take all of that so that in our personal lives and in the work that we do, especially for supply chain and procurement professionals, we are in fact coming through on those words and following up with our deeds and making a difference. Agreed. Agreed. Well said, Kelly Barner. So let's find out more about Tim Nelson. You know, in, the, in the live stream that you joined us, Tim, we had to kind of, based on time, and we had to kind of get to the mission at hand and get to the organization and challenges. We didn't get a good chance to under, better understand the Tim Nelson story. So let's get to know you better. Let's start with uh, the question we always love, love to start with. Where did you grow up? And give us some anecdotes around your upbringing. Yeah, no, amazing. Um, so you can probably tell for anybody who's not heard me before, um, I, I'm not English. Um, I come from Northern Ireland. And the, the place I grew up is a little place called Inch, and it's in South Downs. So to give you your geography lesson for today, it's about 25 miles south of Belfast. Okay. Um, and it is three miles away from the very first church in Ireland um, in a place called Saul that St. Patrick built uh, back in the day. 
The so, uh, St. Patrick, is that the right? The St. Patrick, yeah, because, you know, St. Patrick Day is coming up in March, and a lot of people think about, you know, the the, the colour green shamrocks, and um, I'm certainly Diageo's team's taking over a lot of the, the, the nature of what that day is, but... But actually, you know, I find out so much since growing up there that that actually St. Patrick was actually trafficked to Ireland and managed to escape. Oh and then when he escaped, apparently uh, God called him to, to come back and bring the message of the gospel. And and in the dark ages that the church was was only kept alive in Ireland that then was then exported all over the world. So for me, growing up in that area, you can imagine that there is a real sense of culture and history. There's, um, uh, you know, I grew up at a difficult time at the time of the conflict mm. um, that was going on in Northern Ireland. And my dad was a, uh, ran a painting and decorating firm, um, employed a, a significant number of men painting hospitals and schools. But my mum was principal private secretary to the, the, the head of the Northern Irish office, which in legal speakers, she, she was the assistant to the person who was heading up the country's response. And, and kind of that put us at a place of risk and, and threat. So my mother and father built the house that we're in, but there was a, a car bomb that was planted just outside our house before the wow. house was built. So, you know, I, I went to school in Belfast, which is a 25 mile trip each way for my secondary school and had to walk past, you know, the most bombed hotel in Europe and, you know, controlled explosions going off and, and shootings and various things going on and a really, really crazy time. But amazing time where you get to see the worst of humanity, but the best of humanity at the same mm. time. Mm. So, but but I had a real privilege, and I, I was the first person in my family um, to to go to the school I did, a, a really quite privileged school in, in Belfast. But that was only because um, my mum and dad had impressed upon me the importance of education, and um, because my mum was more politically aware, we, we all became more politically aware, and had um, three siblings. Um, they all ended up going into law, all ended up lawyers, marrying lawyers. Don't mess uh, with the Nelson yeah. family folks. I'll tell you, they're coming for you. No, um, <laughs> the, the debates that we would have had at home were, were absolutely amazing. But I, I kind of really got my worldview kind of going. I can remember one time and, and kind of, I don't know how you are with your kids in terms of what you would let them do. I think because of my knowledge of what the world is, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more restrictive than some might be. But my parents were quite laissez-faire about that. And um, they let me go at the age of 15 to uh, Malaysia and Australia for six months on my own. Wow. By yourself. By myself. And, um, you know, some funny, like I could talk for stories on end on that one, but I was on a flight to Malaysia and I'd fallen asleep and the chap next to me, they were coming around, you know, chicken or beef, because they always have those options for you. And, um, oh, and what would your son like? And he's like, he's not my son. And then they're like, you know, you're not allowed to actually be on a plane if you're under 16 on your own. No, who knew that? No one even asked. <laughs> so um, I found myself transiting through Kuala Lumpur Airport and they had to put me in first class lounge uh, and have someone chaperone me. And I, I, I rang my mum and I'm saying like, I'm in Kuala Lumpur. I'm just watching Sky News. They've just made me the boomy breakfast and I'm going for a shower in a bit. And my mum was just like, what the heck are you doing? So no, just... Just kind of that worldview, that complete sense of you can do anything in the world. And, and the following year after I did that trip, I, I also did a really impactful trip with a group of friends. We went out to uh, Venezuela, Guyana and Brazil 
and did some community projects in the Kanama Highlands. And I did my um, various venture awards that I did um, at that time. But we were away for three months and did some amazing projects. And it just honestly set a really grinding for me of an understanding of uh, maybe from a very small place in Northern Ireland, but actually you can impact the world through just being passionate about making a difference. All right. So you, there's so much that I want to follow up on there, but for the sake of time, I'm going to toss it over to Kelly in just a second, because we want to explore a little more about that worldview and of course what you're doing now, but, but one quick follow-up question to be exposed. And, and as, as you put it, the parents had that lost say fair kind of point of view and just empowered you to um, kind of pursue your passions at an early age, you know, 15 traveling by yourself abroad. And then later to Venezuela, it seems like to me you had a greater appreciation at an earlier age for kind of the global ecosystem, the global community, global village that exists. Did that really play a part in, I mean, and now of course the mission that Hope for Justice is leading is certainly global. Was that a, was that a really important uh, experience at an early age for you? I think it was absolutely pivotal. You know, Kelly, you, you spoke about words and actions, and we had this phrase when we grew up that the lesson you may deliver may be wise and true, but I prefer to learn my lesson by observing what you do. And the more that you get to go across the world and you see what people are doing, you realize that talk is cheap, but it's the actions that are motivating. And you get to see in, in the poorest of communities what people can do. You know, you know today we're, we're talking about uh, you know, supply chains and we're talking about procurement and we're talking about what they're doing. But but actually, people quite often see barriers to things. Yeah. But in, in communities where barriers, you, you don't have the luxury to see barriers. You've got to find a way. And, you know, even even we, we've been talking earlier about the the supply procurement awards and, and people putting forward nominations. And I kind of look at it and go, quite often people go, well, ah, there's a barrier to, okay, I've got to fill in a form or I've got to, I've got to get some knowledge uh, as to what we need to do or how do, what, what does this mean for us as business? Quite often people can see the barrier and be repelled by it. But what you realize is the successful entrepreneurs, the successful businesses are that they do not see walls. Mm. They see those as doors and opportunities that other people can be on the outside of. So I think, I think for me, you see it all over the world, but you get to realize that, that quite often what, what differentiates between those businesses that are, are kind of good or those businesses that are average is whether or not you've got a mindset to you'll find a way. Right. And, and, and on the, you know, if you're, if you're faced with global procurement problem and you can't get it from this place or you can't get it in time, what will you do? You find a way. And I think the, the the awards and everything that they embody for me is all around recognizing who is doing well at this. And mm. quite often people can hear that, you know, it, you know, I don't want to prefer myself. I don't want to big myself up. But I think it's really important for people to understand people want to buy from a company that actually holds this up as really important. Agreed. Agreed. Of course, the award you're referring to, the 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the conversation. All right. So, Kelly, I've been hogging all the interview questions. Uh, a little tip of the hat to our barbecue discussion we were talking pre-show. All right. Where are we going next, Kelly? So, I actually think we're going to transition from that worldview, Tim, that you grew up with, and it's clearly a deep ethic that's part of who you are. How did you carry that worldview and those experiences into the roles that you held early in your career? 
Yeah, I mean, I had this crazy experience when I went to university. So I thought I was going to go and be a stockbroker. The rest of my family wanted to be lawyers. I thought, well, let's be a stockbroker. And so I went to study technology with a view to understanding technology and management and how I could look and focus on high-tech companies. And um, whilst I was there and getting that understanding, I, I got heavily involved in in community work and, and and what would make a difference in the community to help the poor, the needy, the weak and the marginalised in the area that we were in. And um, much to my parents' bemusement, I, I turned down job offers with some really high profile um, stockbrokers in London or in New York. And, and it kind of really shapes your thinking when yeah. um, the company I would have worked for in, in London uh, if I'd taken that job, went bust in in the 2001 crash. And had I been and taken the job in Manhattan, I would have been in the Twin Towers when they went down. Wow. And I think Gosh. I think that kind of mindset of the choices you make, not the chances you take, determine your destiny. And I think off the back of that, it, it kind of propels you to want to do more. So I'm I'm staying in the the place that I'm I'm I've been to university. I'm I'm looking at what I can do, and uh, I ended up working for whilst I was at university to support myself, um, a, a particular bank and a specific division of the bank that were working with kind of business individuals, commercial clients, and it was a telephone based service while I was at university to help fund myself on the way through. And when I was finished, I thought, well, why don't I apply to the bank and see if they've got any jobs? Because I've turned on these other jobs and my mum and dad are going to go crazy if I don't end up with something. <laughs> and um, I applied to work as a, a business manager for a retail bank. And um, normally you have to go through kind of three to five years of graduate training to get that level or growing up with 20 years experience in the bank. But they put me through on the test for that role. And because I'd been got all this information while I was at university, I knew exactly what they wanted to sell and how they needed to sell it. So they put me into that role and I was the youngest bank manager in the UK. And um, in my first year, I finished. Wait, hang on a second. Hang on a second. We got it. We got to clarify that. The young, you said the youngest bank manager in all the UK? Yeah, I was 21, uh, just turned 21 in the August. And in September, I got, I got my first managerial post. So if you can imagine, everyone in the bank hates me. Because uh, because because I'm the guy who's just come in and Johnny come lately. Who is this person? And, I was gonna say um, the kid. They'll hate yeah. you because you're the kid, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But what what I discovered was the bank would let me take people out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the bank's tab, and I could go and see any sporting event. I could go and see any music event as long as I brought customers with me. So I thought, well, nice. Why don't yeah. your customers become your friends and go with you? Because like we talked about barbecue, like for me, if I can go and take people out for, for a great meal and, and basically get to know them, build a relationship. I think that was pivotal for me in understanding that relationship is the oil that business runs on. And in my first year, I finished in the bank, I finished third for income generation. So off the back of that, that caused quite a bit of a stir, as you can imagine, a new guy coming in and, and ended up with this kind of result. So they given me they gave me a promotion to a senior manager. So at that stage, I'm working with more significant clients. I'm helping them with, with borrowing. I'm helping them understand how they can grow and develop business, how they can they, they can take the technological advancement and be able to merge and, and bring that in. And I was starting to pair businesses up that were in my portfolio so they could do projects together because I was like I know you I know you we've been out today how about you come out to the the soccer game and we we talk about this and how you can work together and they loved it everybody loved it because I was trying to get, I, I wasn't in it for me I was in it for what would do the best for them mm -hmm. hey Kelly uh, yeah did you hear that 
t-shirtism that Tim shared a moment ago. Relationships are the oil that powers business forward. That almost just paints like a, a Ferrari, right? For someone, yeah. someone that really is good at, at building strong, sturdy, trust-filled relationships, right? I thought you were going to point out the soccer comment. Now, I have to admit, <laughs> Scott knows uh, Philip Eidson that I work with closely at Art of Procurement is a huge, I will say, football fan because I've been trained. Awesome. I've worked with him for years and years. And I'm thinking, okay, with the accent, I don't think you're allowed to say soccer. Do I get to I, call, I, like call a yeah. Are you translating for us? I, I feel like I do that effortlessly <laughs> now when I'm, I'm speaking to anyone on your side of the pond. I end up having, uh, you know, have to interpret. I don't have to do sign language. I think you're okay with that. But I, I think in terms of just kind of clarification, like the Premier League or... Right. You know, some of the, the greater teams and, and our head office is in Manchester. So I grew up in Northern Ireland and you really we either supported Manchester United or you supported Liverpool. Liverpool were winning everything when I was growing up. So I supported <laughs> Manchester United and then the Premier League came in and the kind of the, the rest is history. But I, I think the, the businesses that I was working with, like I'm still in contact with them kind of 20 plus years now on because I built solid friendships with them. I wanted what was best for them. And actually, it was one of my 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 kind of close friends from that perspective that invited me to even get to know that w- what what business would look like in the States and invited me to sit as an advisor to an offshore investment trust he was running in America, who's going to pull together $200 million to invest in high-tech businesses and really liked what I was saying around understanding the profitability of a business, understanding the technological advancement. And it was on that trip that I had a night spare in Los Angeles and invited out for dinner. And a friend who worked for a children's charity asked me if he could bring a friend along. And that friend and that dinner changed my entire life. I was going to say, and this is where your journey meets hope for justice. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about that dinner. Yeah, so it was a good dinner. Um, I, I don't want to lie in America. In comparative terms, there are things that people might say that the UK is good for, like castles and history and stuff. But <laughs> but um, but but dinners and and and, and eating out, you you've got that nailed. I think you you you, 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 you should at least win some awards for that. Um, but but when when we went for dinner. Um, this guy was on the phone to Condoleezza Rice, who was um, wow. working for the Bush administration at the time and yeah. so far away from everything I'm involved in at that time. And he was arguing about the downgrading of India on the human trafficking register. Hmm. Never heard of it before. And this guy came off the phone and he'd been talking about girls in cages that had been shipped all over India. Hmm. And I was questioning him. I was like, what are you talking about? Never heard of anything hmm. like this. And um, he pulled out his, his his camera and showed me the pictures of the individuals who were he had seen the week before. And his challenge to me was, now that you know about this, what are you going to do about it? Mm. Because maybe there are people tonight who are crying themselves to sleep and they are calling out for someone to help them. And maybe you could be that guy. So for me, I came back to the UK. I spoke to everybody I knew and a friend of mine had met some folk that were thinking about putting on an event to tell people about the issue and said, you understand project management. You could help them. You've done events before. Um, and we came along and, and kind of there were about 10 of us that came together to put the first event on. And uh, we decided we weren't going to do like a town hall or hire a hotel. We went and hired an arena and we got, wow. we, my wife and I had to put our house 
potentially on the line if it if it went south. Wow. Uh, and again, that was a big moment for me because my wife was expecting our first child. We'd bought a piece of land. We built our first house. This was like the, not the time that you really want to be putting your house on the line. What arena, um, Tim, if I can ask? Yeah, it was, it was the NEC arena in a place called Birmingham. Now, not Birmingham, Alabama, right. but Birmingham, <laughs> in the UK. Yeah. And um, we got 5,884 people to come to our first event. And that was, for us, honestly, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And that was really the birth of Hope for Justice. And in the group, I got the, the privilege of naming the charity back in the day and, um, and sat on the founding board of it um, since the beginning. Wow. So you've been there since the very beginning. Yeah. I, I think there was one meeting before where they were talking about an event that I wasn't at. But okay. when we when we started talking about where and how and what we would need, we you know mm-hmm. you're going to need an entity. How? Do, well, what what do we do there, and what's that going to do? And I think at the beginning we thought naively maybe we could just fundraise and send money internationally. You know maybe that's a good thing to do. But the more that we realised the complexity of this, we thought we should really start by employing undercover investigators to find individuals against held against their will. And um, it was really profound because the first year that we did that. Uh, we rescued 110 individuals. And the youngest victim that we rescued was just three months old, trafficked for sexual exploitation. Now, that's not, we, now in the US, I'll, I'll say this about the US, there's an awful lot of company hopping at the C level, right? You're the CEO of this company one day, the next day you're the CEO of a company in a completely different industry with a totally different product offering. It doesn't strike me that just anybody could step in and be the CEO of an organization like Hope for Justice. I mean, certainly we've talked about your worldview. We've talked about sort of the personal calling. You, you know, you tried stocks, you went back to people, tech, back to people, right? Everything kind of that draw back to people. What is it that you love the most about your role? That's a really great question. And the way you framed it, honestly, that was brilliant. And anyone who's listening to this, that was a brilliant question. I think for me, it's a real privilege to be in this seat. And I realize a bit like a conductor in an orchestra, I'm not making the most sound and I don't get, you know, people often just see the back of me and they don't actually get to see me. And I'm not, I'm not looking for fame. I'm actually not looking for fortune. I'm not looking for my name up in lights in any way, shape or form. I kind of have come to that point of Almost, I don't know if you've read Bob Buford's book, but he talks about half time and about realizing that most people go for success, but actually what you want is significance in what you're doing. And I think I've come to the point of, of seeing how significant we are as a charity and the impact that we can bring. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone can do that. And, and there's significance in every single person. But most people are prepared not to press into the discomfort that you need to go through get through the dip. I think Seth Godin talks about yes. the dip that you have to go to, to to come the other side. But most people aren't prepared to go into that to see what significance could look like for them. And it's not easy and it's not it's not sugar-coated and it doesn't come, it comes more like vegetables rather than a steak dinner. It, it, it you know, it, it requires each one of us to do extra. But but I, and honestly, feel really privileged in every moment that we get to, to be a, a team doing this mission. And it is together, we're, we're working to try and end slavery rather than me somehow, um, some hero on a, a white stallion leading the charge. I think what I feel more is more that conductor like, hey, we need to grow this area because there's a real problem and significance that we need to bring in this area. And 
and and hopefully for the team they feel as empowered as possible to take responsibility and make a bigger difference. Well, and one of the things that you guys are exceptionally effective at is using visuals and data points and videos to tell the story. You know, Scott and I have done a lot of learning and researching to to partner with Hope for Justice around the awards and I find that while you have excellent representation on Twitter and LinkedIn, for me, it's really the Facebook content that sort of hits you in the heart. And there's this excellent balance. You'll have to go back and tell your team. There's this excellent balance between offering up really hard-hitting statistics, this percent, this many people, uh, the equivalent of the, the occupants of the state of California, right? Those kind of relatable statistics with the stories of the people that you've managed to rescue or return to their homes and families. When you're at the end of your day and you have sort of that that combination of statistics about the challenge you're trying to address, but then the success stories all floating around in your head at the same time, what is it really that's at the core of it for you? Which which one of those things is it that, that drives you forward as you continue doing that conducting? Yeah, I think for me, um, I had a mentor that when I was growing up and and they they told me this phrase that points are powerful, but connection is key. And, um, you know, numbers, you know, we count the numbers because people count and therefore it's important for us to count numbers. But really, you know, the numbers, when we start to get caught up too much in the numbers, we can lose the essence of what we're doing. We don't want to be head led. We need to be heart motivated because it causes you to push past particular points. I had a I had a story that came to me just before Christmas. And um, honestly, I thought about this story a lot over the Christmas break that I took with my family. I have uh, I have two daughters, one who's seven and one who's nine years old. And uh, I get all the notes that come through on a weekly basis to me and, and they highlight key issues and key things for me to be aware of. And each part of the world does this so that there's a real sense of understanding, because sometimes when you're in this place, it's incredibly dark and it's incredibly difficult. And it can feel a bit like you're you're standing in the middle of a, a freeway and you're trying to tell everybody to stop. And there's not really that motivation for people to stop. But um, we got this story from our Cambodian office and it was of an eight year old girl and a little girl called Chaya. And this girl had, when they, 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 they kind of, um, they take them through um, a trauma-informed approach to make sure that the clinical psychologists can ensure we don't want them to carry the trauma and the pain of what's happened to them. We want to try and see them set free. And uh, the, the short-term transition center there, we call a lighthouse because we want to bring people safe to shore. And one of the clinical psychologists had asked this girl, about what she was thankful for, because it's a key part of understanding how you bring hope is to turn people away from the darkness to the light of thankfulness. And this girl said that she was thankful she got to sleep in a dry bed. And her her particular story, we think that she'd been trafficked for about a year and a half. Her mum had got addicted to, um, I think, heroin and had lost the home that they lived in. She found herself on the streets and she was selling the little girl from man to man. And I I think for me, when you get to a point in your life where you go, I really have so much to be thankful for. You know, I feel I won the lottery of life being brought up, brought up in a a family that cared for me and loved me and were able to provide for me. Uh, I may not have have had the footballer's life or, you know, the the, you know, the the privileged upbringing, but I've, I've learned a lot. 
But you know, when you come back to that story, that's the story that I remember. And it leaves an indelible mark on you because when it gets dark and it gets hard and you have to push past, you you know, I'm sure there are lots of people who are watching uh, now today and you're thinking, you know, what am I doing this for in business? And I'm having to work hard and I'm having to press in and I'm having to, you know, I'm not getting the returns that I thought or, you know, the complexity of procurement. And this doesn't arrive when it's meant to arrive and the Kanban systems that we've set up for things just in time are just not coming through. I think what you need to have is that your why leads you mm. to a place that that can get you past those difficult points. And and I just I, I get a profound understanding that it's the stories I think I will remember forever. The numbers themselves may fade, but it's that points are powerful. But that connection is absolutely key. Mm. And I believe she wrote a poem, didn't she? Is it Chai's poem that's featured in in some of your content? Just talk about a lighthouse. She's a lighthouse. It's hope-filled. It's optimistic. You would never guess by reading her words what this little girl had already been through in her life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's the joy. And that's what I'm saying. It's like I feel like I'm in the most privileged job of anyone in the world. And it's it's not it's not easy. It's you know, every day is. I describe this and a lot of people might resonate with this is moving from one difficult situation to another difficult situation and trying to stay positive in between. But I think the reality is you you have to, because there are people, men, women, and children all over the world who need us to not be so preoccupied with our own self-importance and get off our blessed assurance and do something about it. Greed. And more and more folks must set the challenge if we're going to make progress in our efforts, joint efforts to eradicate modern slavery and human trafficking. And that's where we're going next. So I want to, uh, again, for our listeners, Hope for Justice, a purpose-driven nonprofit that is committed to eradicate these travesties from the face of the planet. And there's lots of ways that you can support organization. We'll touch on that towards the end of today's conversation. But Tim, what, you know, when you joined us for the live stream, you know, you blow our mind with with some of the facts and figures and and just aspects of this uh, this fight against these these horrible things. What are just a couple of things our listeners have to understand about modern slavery and human trafficking? Yeah, I think I think the first thing to try and and bring people to people's awareness is that this isn't just an international issue. This is a local issue. Um, I, I said this last time I was on that. You know, if if you heard that your daughter or your niece or your grandchild had been trafficked, had been taken, you do absolutely anything to get them back. But the sad reality is that they are someone's daughter, someone's son. They are connected to someone who is desperate to have them back. I think I heard a statistic um, two weeks ago, which I'm still trying to process. Um, Online sexual exploitation through the pandemic has grown massively. And um, there are currently 2,000 individual transactions a minute now processed for online sexual exploitation. Children are being groomed. Our Cambodian program told me just last week, 95% of all the victims have been groomed online first. These types of things, you know, these types of statistics, you, you go that how many minutes has just gone past and how many individuals have, have, have felt that pain. But also I think when you look at the vastness of it's estimated that there are 40.3 million individuals who are held in some form of trafficking and modern slavery. There are, when, when we look at the reality of how big a business this is, it's a $150 billion industry for serious and organized crime, the second biggest only after drugs and growing. 
The issues of the pandemic have exasperated the issues that put, pushed more people into poverty. We're starting to see because of inflation and pressures that are placed on families, those burdens of poverty. And if individuals come with, with you know, a, a token of how something is going to be so good for that child to get a job in the city and then find themselves enslaved. And, and we, we need to do more. We need to press into it more. We need to understand it more. But we're doing all that we can so that those numbers themselves we can push back. But if we added the sum total for the last the last 12 months, 40.3 million who are estimated to be in slavery, but all the work of every anti-trafficking organization, there was only 118,000 individuals globally found. So we're not even scratching the surface of being able to make a bigger impact. That is it's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. Uh, if I can, so Kelly, you have published a recent article. I think it's already been published. And you know, our our listing audience is mainly supply chain procurement, logistics, transportation, manufacturing. Just really quick, Kelly, sure. you kind of offered up three three ways folks in the craft, as we put it, can can play their part, do their part, really. Can you can you quickly share those three things? That one was one was supply chain mapping, I believe, right? Yeah. So share those with you. Sure. So it was really all focused around what we in supply chain would call tier two, right? So your tier one suppliers are the companies you work directly with. You have contracts, you pay them, they give you a product or service. But tier two and beyond, we know it's a local issue, as you had pointed out, Tim, but even locally, you can very quickly get to multiple tiers of the supply chain. So it actually has less to do with how many businesses away from your company this problem exists at, and it has more to do with how much visibility you have into anyone's operation. And as we've we've also learned, really any place that's busy with legitimate supply chain activity, legitimate human travel and, and transportation also becomes a hotspot for human trafficking. And so what I had written about in that article is how companies have to push beyond tier one. And it's not just enough to go to your first tier supplier and say, hey, do you have human trafficking or modern slavery in your supply chain? That's to surface. It needs to be, okay, let's let's you and I talk about expectations or how we're going to manage relationships, how I manage you, and therefore how you should manage your suppliers. But how closely are you really looking into your supply chain? Do you trust your suppliers' suppliers? Right? How much information do you have? How much visibility do you have? And you know, it's very hard because a lot of times where we think these problems probably exist are not exactly where they do. But I would be willing to bet that in the most serious cases, in the cases that need to be addressed most urgently, we have a sense, mm. right? If, if you had to guess where's the trouble, we kind of know where to start. So what are you doing in those areas to work with multiple tiers of supply partners to not just say, I have a lingering concern over there. You know, it's sort of like once you saw those pictures of the kids in cages, you can't just say, oh, that's really sad and go on with your day. Right. Once you're confronted with that, it's okay, I have this information. And so therefore, what am I going to do? As yes. you said earlier. Kelly, on the money. Thank you for sharing. Because um, we got to take action. We got to take action. We, we can't turn a blind eye. Because, you know, there, there, there's just, there's, we're going to touch this in a minute. Um, but, you know, supply chain practitioners are in a un unique position. We'll, we'll talk more about that. But um, all right. So, Cora Kose and our friends at Gartner Kelly, we, we heard a little birdie told us about something that's coming up this summer. But, but before that, 
You and Hope for Justice partnered with uh, the fine folks at Gartner on a project here recently. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, no, again, I mean, there's sometimes in in life you get you get honors and you get privileges, and I I don't want to understate that or overuse that that phrase, but I think for Gartner to invite us to come in and share what we're doing with businesses on Slave Free Alliance, really a, a really humbling experience, and and kind of really want to thank them for that amazing privilege. We we talked a, a good bit around what we're doing and how we are helping businesses to try and deal and tackle with this issue. You know, Kelly's so right in terms of how complex this issue can be perceived, but you can break it down into simple, manageable things that you can target response to. And I think I think from my perspective, the, the key element we talked about with Gartner was around the gap analysis, around the ability to be able to, to go through and do a deep dive on uh, almost like a litmus check on, on your procurement. And I think... What we want to try and do is test the principles, test the the knowledge and the understanding, because we know nobody's got it perfect. Uh, but we know that there's so many companies who who would tell us we don't have an issue, mm. which itself is the issue, right? And um, because right. that it it's not a question of if you have slavery in the supply chain of your business, somewhere between seventy and eighty percent of all businesses will have modern slavery within their business will have human trafficking. And for what we're finding, it's whether you're not you're prepared to look and what will you do when you find it. And we want to try and help as much as we can. We we want to do what we can to help businesses. And Slave Free Alliance is our, uh, is our way in which we, we work with companies. And the work that we do with Gartner was just to unpack that a bit in terms of the steps that we take with companies and how, how we're trying to help businesses as a, a trusted friend we're not here to expose people for doing wrong. We, right. we want to try and help people because I know how complex procurement is. I've sat with individuals who've got, you know, one one company I was with last week had 70,000 first tier suppliers. So yeah. in, in that scenario, the complexities around even just being able to ensure that people are paid a fair wage in the first tier is really complex. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to glam up how, how challenging procurement could be, but we want to make it simple, we want to make it strategic, and we want to make it helpful for people. So Gartner gave us the ability to go through some of the methodology, um, unpick it, get under the skin. And certainly Corey was amazing in terms of how he, how he led that and and kind of the link directly to the event coming up. Really, really genuinely humbled to be even included in that lineup. We're talking about the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium uh, in June 2022. So I love that you and Co-Rai are going to be keynoting uh, amongst the keynotes at the symposium. And I'll tell you, like we talked about pre-show, Kelly, I'm I'm sure we both feel the same to to, to reach the Gartner organization, right? And the esteemed Gartner organization and all the folks that work with, all the organizations of all sizes, it just elevates, you know, will elevate what the mission of Hope, Hope for Justice is on, and I'm just tickled that uh, that's going to take place in June. So, uh, Kelly, I'll give you a chance to weigh in there before we switch over to the awards and talk about that. Sure. So, I guess, last question for you, Tim. You know, we've talked a little bit about how complicated procurement is. We all know how complicated supply chain is. Why are we the ones? Why are the, we the ones that should pick up this mantle of helping organizations like Hope for Justice eradicate human trafficking and modern slavery? I mean, clearly, Gartner is a fundamentally very serious organization. They don't do anything without full legitimacy and, and authenticity. So, you know, that's a seal of approval if all the work that you've already done hasn't been. But why should we personally, as a profession, 
take this on as sort of our cause? Mm. Yeah, no, I, it's an interesting question. I think I think I would answer it this way. We have this freedom wall that we've created at Hope for Justice, which effectively is the symbol of a, a lady called Sophia who got rescued in Cambodia. And, and she was rescued and held, held in thick chains with a padlock. And we put an open padlock on the wall. And every time we get someone who was rescued, we write their name, we write the year they were rescued. It's, it's our wall of freedom, or our freedom wall, as we call it. Um, I've realized that individuals themselves have the key to freedom. But what I've also realized is procurement specialists are, let me describe it like this. You know, whenever you go into a building, a big building, 10-story building or whatever, there's a person in that building who probably has a key that opens every door. And and they may be a janitor, they may be a security personnel. Um, you know, we we all know the, those people exist and and kind of do amazing jobs at what they do. But I think in in the world we're in, procurement specialists are master keys to freedom because they can open many, many, many doors of freedom by making different choices, by understanding what you need to do and how you need to look and how you need to you, you position your company so that it becomes a fortress. So that, you know, there's there's no entry for those individual traffickers who are looking to embed themselves into your supply chain. But it, first of all, you just need to recognize it. But you also need to recognize that the legacy of what that that can be. And, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I would love it to be the CEO who makes those calls in a company, the sad reality is CEOs themselves have power. But, you know, they, they're, they're more conductors rather than necessarily the individual who's going to bring the freedom, whereas procurement specialists... For people who are within the supply chains of businesses, you hold that key. And, I, you know, every time you pick up your keys at home, I'd want you to be thinking, I can be the master key to freedom. Every time you use a key to get into your, your door at home or, you know, many cars don't have them for your, your car now, but you still might have something that looks like a shape of a key somewhere. I'd love for you to be thinking, I can be the key to freedom. And maybe I need to be unlocking that door. Well, I don't think I've ever felt so proud of work in procurement. Thank you for putting it that way. And hopefully, you know, everyone that's listening to this, whether they consider themselves procurement or supply chain, thinks of themselves as the key because there is something that each of us can do. Agreed. Agreed. Beautiful sentiment between the two of y'all. So let's switch gears. Talking about things you can do. Uh, We're delighted here between supply chain now and buyer's meeting point and art of procurement to put together, to have put together the uh, 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards, right? Which builds on, really is powered by a legacy from several other um, more localized awards we've run here in Atlanta for a couple of years. And we're delighted to have partnered, not just with Hope for Justice, which in and of itself is uh, something we're very proud of, but you know, from the very beginning, Tim, kind of much, kind of along the lines of what you were talking about earlier, that dinner and uh, the, 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 the initial days of Hope for Justice and your why, well, when we got together, we didn't we didn't want to put together Kelly another run of the mill awards program, and and you know not only because that's boring, but there's no purpose. And what what's 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 the why? What's the so what? So to to not only um, partner with Hope for Justice and and, um, and really bake purpose into the event. Yes, we're going to celebrate the good news going you know that the industry has had organizations and individuals. But we're going to do so with purpose to bring awareness to these travesties that both of y'all are speaking to. We've got to take more action. So, Kelly, uh, I'm going to get Tim's take on the awards, but this has been a, a joint labor of love, right? Me and you and Phil and the whole man and the whole planning team. A couple of your initial thoughts, and then we're going to get Tim to weigh in. 
Sure. So, I mean, for me, it simply comes down to education. There are so many different things that companies and procurement and supply chain within those companies is being asked to do now. There's sustainability, there's diversity, there's, of course, we're dealing with inflation and disruptions and material scarcity. And sometimes it feels like we have to rank those things. But if we're ever in a position where we're putting any of these things above human well-being, it does seem like we've kind of lost our way. And, mm. and that's the opportunity to sort of refocus on what ultimately matters um, in the big picture. And maybe it means putting in a little bit more effort because you do have to protect the bottom line. But finding that little bit of extra energy or time or effort to also make sure that to the best of our ability, we're, we're rooting out human rights abuses where they exist. That has to be front and center mm. in everything that we do. Well said. Very well said, Kelly, and I'm proud to partner, continue really uh, our business uh, relationship and collaboration with this this new vehicle. So, so Tim, I'm not sure if you could say much, much, put it much better than what Kelly just shared, but if anyone can, Tim Nelson can. So yes. tell us, what are your thoughts on these awards and more importantly, the purpose behind it? Yeah, I mean, I, I know from speaking to lots of procurement people, you're not the upfront flashy person. There's a reason why you're in procurement, because you actually want to make a difference. Yeah. And I think sometimes awards can sometimes feel a little bit like disingenuous to who you are and the impact that you bring. But let me tell you that you need to celebrate what you need to replicate. And that as you get celebrated through the awards, it replicates what other businesses will see as important. It lifts up a standard. And sometimes that's what needs to happen in a place for people to realize that, you know, when when things are when things aren't great or they need to change, you need one person to stand up from amongst them who who celebrates that win, celebrates the difference and impact that you're bringing. I think for many procurement individuals, they struggle to get what they're doing on the agenda of the C-suite level that they're in or struggles to get it across yeah. on the agenda when, when, as Kelly has said, there's so many things competing for, for, for noise and traction of people's attention. But if you're that company who ends up getting an award and you go back to work, PR guys are going to love you. The, the, the boss is going to want to come down and make sure he's there to, or she's there to take that award and, and, and kind of celebrate the company. Um, but I, I genuinely think it should be that every company wants to have a piece of this. Every company wants to buy in. These things only work when people buy into the nature and need that we have for everyone to, to, to lend their bit. And no one raindrop ever felt responsible for the flood. Mm. But it takes each one to come together in a combining impact. And it can bring a tsunami of hope across so many people's lives. But it takes you to go... Yeah, I will go. I'll I'll test this. I'll see what how, what this is like for my company. And I'd encourage anyone who's listening, or if you know someone and you're listening, that you go, hey, that guy needs to hear this message, or that girl needs to hear this message because their company's doing something that's effective. We want to lift up companies so that we can be able to encourage more companies to understand what's important. And you know, culture shifts. When people start to when people start to focus on intentionally what they need to develop, mm. and like a like a photograph, if I leave you this image, you know you get a photograph and it develops, and your image that you see comes alive. And I think if you focus on this, and we can see this develop, and I, my hope is that this 
in 50 years time, we're talking about how, what an impact this was. And can you believe where we've come in 50 years? Uh, my, my aim for, for where you're at and, and the, the businesses that you represent is that you all want to be a part of this. Mm. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to be responsible for making a bigger impact? Yes. Yes. And yes. Yeah. And that's why we've partnered with Hope for Justice. <laughs> right. No kidding. <laughs> that's, that's it right there. That it, it really is. So folks, you heard it straight from uh, me and Kelly and of course our partner, Tim Nelson, a couple of examples. So when we talk about the 2022 Supply Chain Procurement Awards, first off, you can learn more. This will be in the show notes, but supplychainprocurementawards.com. It's just mm-hmm. that simple. We've got nine different award categories, such as Deeds Not Words Leadership Award, because we're all speaking to action here. Gosh, you heard Tim and Kelly eloquently put it. We've got a Building Sustainable Future Award, Champions of Humanity Award, which I think was maybe one of my favorites. Uh, reimagining the Power of Procurement, Technology Trailblazer, Delivering Change to Digital Transformation, Building a World-Class Logistics Ecosystem, and finally, the Unsung Hero Award, because if there's anything in global supply chain, goodness knows, it's a ton and ton, tons of unsung heroes. So find learn more, supplychainprocurementawards.com. Get those nominations in. March 1st is the deadline. And as, as with any event, the nominations will fuel our ability to um, not only uh, provide resources, because all the nomination fees are being donated to Hope for Justice. So not only are you is you are you and your company right. going to get some some visibility, but you're making a very charitable donation to to support a nonprofit that is highly regarded with uh, probably plenty. Uh, but Charity Navigator is one that I look at regularly. And Tim, your ears should be burning because they're big fans of of y'all's work. Yeah, no, I appreciate these. You know, in, in many ways, NGO world or, or the nonprofit world. Credibility is everything, mm. yes. and and when organizations come alongside and they they give you an award, a commendation, it makes a significant impact. And I, and you know the Charity Navigator are, are one of those individuals, but these awards are the embodiment of that mm. because you want to be having these awards. It's it's like a, a a kite mark for who your business is and who you are as an individual. So yeah, I know. I, I know we're talking hope for justice now, but I I, I want to turn it back to the individual themselves and, and the importance that they have, because because I, I think in the same way as people look at Charity Navigator and they say, hey, hope for justice is is doing a great job in what where we're at and demonstrating accountability, openness, transparency, and everything we're doing. I want that for people's businesses, and I want that through these awards. I really mm-hmm. do. Well, we appreciate uh, your kind comments. More importantly, we appreciate your your active partnership. And we look forward to building that tidal wave of uh, awareness for these travesties, but more importantly, perhaps the support for eradicating these travesties. And so we really just big fans of what is going on, what Hope for Justice is leading. So, all right. So, Kelly, before we start to wrap and we make sure folks know how to connect with Tim and Hope for Justice, because, folks, we strongly encourage it outside of our wards, outside of you know yes. our work together. Hey. Go direct and partner up with Hope for Justice to consume their information so you can be more informed and, and, and savvy and you can take action with, uh, with important consequences. But Kelly, your final word before we make sure folks know how to connect with Tim. My final word, Tim, is just thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn, giving us something else that we can do and for reminding us that no, procurement does not feel particularly sparkly. 
we're sort of the introvert club, but that doesn't mean that the work we are doing behind the scenes isn't incredibly impactful. So thank you for reminding that of reminding us of that part of our work. Agreed. Agreed, Kelly. Okay. So Tim, you know, I know we're just still after an hour of chatting with you, we're still just scraping the iceberg on a variety of fronts, your story, hope for justice, the mission, your own, the, the, unfortunately the, the massive scope of these challenges, but, um, there's all there's more time and we want to make sure folks want to connect and get involved with hope for justice how can they connect with you and the organization yeah so hopeforjustice.org um our website you can hit us up and and connect in but i want to connect with people you know i talked about relationships and i, I think linkedin is is the best way to do that um i manage my own linkedin profile so you, you you come through to me rather than come through to a machine but i think um, go on Tim Nelson and, and 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 find me on LinkedIn. But if you go on our website, you can also link directly to my LinkedIn off of the profile that's on there. You know, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. I think I think MySpace is gone. Uh, it used to it used to be a thing, but no, uh, just just in general, I, I think we're on all all the platform, the main platforms that you would, could normally connect into. But if there's anything that's burning and and someone wants to talk about it or you know, maybe you're that guy who 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 won the lottery last night, and you're you're just kind of burning as to what you're going to do with the money that you got. Like, don't worry, we can help you. Um, there's a there's a way there's a way that we can find a platform for you to help. But in all seriousness, just uh, we just want to connect with people, build relationally. We're not in it for a, a spasm of passion. We want long obedience in the same direction. So any relationship that we can connect in on would be would be amazing. Wonderful, excellent organization, noble mission, deeds, not words. Y- y'all really embodied that, uh, Tim, and we're proud to uh, build on our collaboration and, and conduct uh, this partnership via the award. So a lot more to come. Hopeforjustice.org. Make sure you connect with Tim Nelson via LinkedIn. We're going to make it easy. We're going to include those links in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, uh, you're just really one click away. So Kelly, gosh, Buyers Meeting Point, P for Procurement, Art, Art of Procurement, the LinkedIn Accelerator Program, which has been really cool. Uh, a lot of your Amazing. conversations around supplier diversity and whatnot. Um, how can folks connect with you? So it should be simple. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is now recommending that you follow people. Please connect with me. Please reach out, include a note, connect with me. I like Tim. I love the relationships. I love the exchanges. Let me know why you're reaching out. Uh, but absolutely, either buyersmeetingpoint.com, artofprocurement.com, dial P is part of supply chain now, or find me directly on LinkedIn. It's just that easy. Tim, I'm going to adjust your phrase a little bit. You said relationships are the oil that powers global business. I'm really surprised you didn't say Petro that powers global business. You're really throwing us for a loop with these uh, these Americanized uh, jargon here, Tim. I try my best to try and to, to, to communicate to communicate in a way that I, I don't need hieroglyphs um, from a, a Northern Irish man. Uh, but I am told that that I'm I'm not represented like the English. You know, I I promise you, I'm not going to tax the tea. You know, we 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 had we had uh, Brexit, but I'm told you can have Brentrance back if any of you do want to. And uh, the Queen is waiting. You can the 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 US can come back. It's okay. Well, hey, uh, Tim, always a pleasure, uh, really. Uh, and we uh, enjoy all the things we've talked about. But man, your personality and your and your uh, stories and your sense of humor uh, really makes you know diving into all the rest of it a lot more enjoyable. So, folks, we've been chatting with. Tim Nelson, 
uh, again with Hope for Justice. So make sure you connect with him. Uh, Kelly Barner, a pleasure to do this interview with you. A pleasure to do the collaboration on the awards and everything else with you. Stay tuned. We're going to see Kelly uh, launching the second season soon of Dial P for Procurement. And as Tim and Kelly both have said, procurement's cool these days, folks. You got to get with the, get with the program. Um, wicked cool. Wicked cool. Fact, yes. uh, wicked cool <laughs> on that. So, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Uh, big thanks to Tim and Kelly. Hey, got to take action. Got to find a way, no matter how small, but taking action and taking action soon. You can always build on those actions. So, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, got to challenge you. Hey, do good. Give forward. But most importantly, be the change. Be like Tim Nelson. Hope for justice. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.